Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Golf Shot Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Bagley. Uh, today is November 15th. Hope everybody had a great weekend. It was a good, even though weird weekend as a Michigan football fan and a terrible weekend as a New England Patriots fan. So that's how I'm, how I'm doing in the sports world. But I today, I just kind of wanted to hit a few, few random things as we've been doing the, the last few weeks still in the dog days of the fall series on the PGA Tour in the world of professional golf. But um, the professional golf world keeps churning out more news, more changes, more kind of new ventures going on. Uh, Currently, the the Netflix Netflix Cup is going on. Um, I was watching that for a few minutes before I I jumped on here, got ready for the pod, uh, because I'm taping this on, on Tuesday night. And it was kind of as expected uh very kind of very kind of like the match meets netflix's full swing meets live golf um pretty cheesy a lot of infomercial type of stuff for netflix uh content and uh yeah i mean maybe not for like real huge golf fans um but it's something (laughs) It was something, and it was also something I kind of wanted to turn off pretty quickly, and so that's what I did. And so all I really saw was a few shots of the the F one guys uh, paired up with the PGA Tour players, you know, play a few holes, and and they were going over some rules and and whatnot. Um, the best part was probably Joel Damon on the call, the the darling of of Netflix's full swing, and he was he was doing a pretty good job. So I mean, they seemed like they were having fun. Um, glad to get some kind of silly season type of energy back into the PGA tour world. And we'll certainly be getting more, um, quote unquote, silly season type of events moving forward with the, the TGL, uh, which I so terribly described and basically coughed up, coughed up my, my ignorance or surrounding last week. So I did a little bit of research, to, uh, this week <laughs> to, to try to explain it a little bit better, uh, for anyone who cares. But, um, to start this week, uh, just want to recap a little bit of what happened over in Bermuda at the Butterfield Championship. Um, Camilo Vajegas won, uh, just coming off a second place finish the, the, the prior week in Mexico, in which he uh, was near the lead for most of the week and kind of had a brutal, kind of brutal down the stretch play from what I saw. Um, so really impressive from Camilo Vajegas. This was his first win since 2014, uh, his fifth PGA Tour win, putting him uh, squarely in the pancake zone. And um, just this obviously meant a whole lot to him. He's gone through a you know, personal tragedy with, his, with uh, the death of his, his young daughter a few years ago. Um, so he he was really emotional with the win. means a lot. He was a guy who was... His, career has really taken a hit since he was kind of a, a this hot shot young guy in the mid 2000s um won back-to-back FedEx Cup events back in like 2008 I think it was um right before they one of the years where uh VJ Singh won the first two FedEx Cup events and locked locked in the championship by just winning the first two events so there was no drama coming down the stretch <laughs> And so they changed those rules real quick because they realized that that didn't work. But Camillo actually won the next two events, and so he finished 
pretty close to VJ in that race, but he had no chance to get over the top. And that was kind of the peak Camillo. Um, in those days, he was just like known as this like flashy guy. He did the spider putting stance and was always wearing white with like crazy, you know, colored belts and things. So great for Camillo. Uh, great win for him. Um, he also hasn't played a major since 2015, uh, according to his Wikipedia page. So this win gets him into next year's Masters and obviously secures his tour card for a couple of years. So um, huge win, huge win for Camilla. This week on the PGA Tour is the RSM Classic down in Sea Island, uh, Sea Island, Georgia, uh, a.k.a. the PGA, PGA Tour player home game for a lot of the guys that live there. Don't have a whole lot to say about the RSM Classic. Um, if you're looking for any gambling advice, it seems to be kind of like a short hitter's golf course. There's like water lurking all over the place. Um, kind of the ball striker crowd like Charles Howell has done well there. And so those would be the guys I'm looking at. But I haven't really done any research myself uh, looking at the field yet. Um, I initially just like breezed through the field. I saw Eric Cole is probably like the second second favorite, uh, which I hate to see because I feel like he would be a great guy this week. He's been playing so well this fall. Um, definitely could see this being the week that he finally gets over the top with that with that main victory. Okay, so because there's not a whole lot of professional golf stuff to talk about this week, I am once again going to ramble on a little bit about my own golf escapades this past weekend. Um, just because this is partly kind of what it, why I wanted to do this podcast is I just wanted to share um, some of my own experiences with golf. Somebody who kind of thinks about golf courses and things like that. And I'm just trying to hold back from saying something like super obnoxious that like I have an opinion that's worth sharing and that people should care about. Um, but, you know, I don't have like a huge outlet for any of this stuff. I don't have a Besides my dad, who is the biggest golf nerd I know, we're the two people that can really talk at the same level as far as like golf game, golf courses, professional golf. So he's my outlet mostly. Um, Jess actually had got off the phone with him a little bit earlier. He was down at Chessie Creek Club in South Carolina, uh, which he has a friend who's a member down there, uh, which he absolutely adores. It's a Corin Crenshaw course. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure built in the early 2000s. Um, and my dad as a as a huge, just very knowledgeable guy and very has uh, really well thought out and and opinions on golf courses. Uh, he just absolutely loves the golf course. Uh, thinks it's it's just like a hidden gem. And he was just telling me about his own his own golf games. I get I get a lot of like shot by shot uh, <laughs> analysis, uh, which is a faux pas normally when you talk to people about their golf games. But I I don't mind and I I appreciate I kind of appreciate it hearing it from him. Um, probably wouldn't want to hear it about it from anyone else. Probably it wouldn't really resonate the same. But my dad is somebody I've, you know spent a lot of time playing golf with and caddying for so. I, I kind of know the flow of everything he goes through and we can kind of talk it out. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm a partly a mental coach, but anyhow, on Saturday myself, uh, I headed out to Beth page for the first time, uh, playing. I had actually been there back in 2009 for the U S open. Um, I've 
been lucky enough to go to quite a few U.S. Opens um, because my dad is such a big golf fan, and there's been uh, so many on in kind of the northeast of the United States that we've hit a lot of the ones that have been in like the New York, New York, Pennsylvania, New England area. And so in 2009, we went to Beth Page, um, and no offense to Beth Page, and I think most people there like associated with that tournament can relate to this but that was probably the worst u.s open i ever attended um it was just the famously rain delay tournament that and finished on a monday uh won by lucas glover um and big disappointment for most of the fans it was such a weird tournament it was like um uh, ricky barnes was leading by so much it's different points of the tournament and then Phil Mickelson and David Duvall were making these crazy runs and it looked like they were going to win. And then they kind of like had a few like missed putts late in the day uh, to kind of hand it to Lucas Glover who played amazing golf, but it was soaked out there. Uh, it's a tough environment for, for fans, uh, super crowded as you'd expect from any New York area U.S. Open. Uh, so I really don't re- even remember watch like much of the golf. I remember seeing a little of Phil. Uh, my dad was actually kind of he had kind of scouted Lucas Glover um, up to that point as this guy to watch. He kind of liked his game. He kind of liked like he had this kind of fiery personality that my dad liked. And at the time, compared to Curtis Strange, um, which I think was was a good comparison. Both really good ball strikers and both the kind of fiery guys. Um, but yeah, I didn't really remember a whole lot. I remember being around the clubhouse area. Um, didn't, I remember certain elements of the black course, like especially the fourth hole, the big, the long par five, and then moving towards when you get across the road, like the 17, the par three. Um, but yeah, that was my only experience there. So this past Saturday, uh, I had an engagement to play golf at the red course, which is often cited as the second best course in the facility. Uh, also, like the Black Course, a Tillinghast course built around the same time. Uh, there's a there's like five or six golf courses uh, at the facility. And so my friend uh, friend down in Philly who I played golf with a couple weeks ago, he had been like kind of like eyeing this Beth Page engagement for a long time. Wanted to play either red or black. Um, and so we finally got it on the calendar. Uh, he had his sister, who's a New York resident, you know, booked the tea time. She was playing with us with one of her friends. Um, but unfortunately, we could only get an afternoon tea time. And an afternoon tea time in early November is pretty dicey. The sun sets here at 4.30. Uh, so we were supposed to, our first tea time was like 2.30. And I was like, and I told him, I was like, okay, that means we're going to play like nine holes, if that. And we were, we kind of like scoured the tee sheet the entire week, got to bump up our tee time to 150. So like, all right, well, you know, we'll do it. We'll get as many holes in as we can. Um, I was kind of like coming into it, taking the train with my golf clubs. I was like kind of dragging. I wasn't sure if I really wanted to do this. And I, w- I was missing missing the Michigan-Penn State game, uh, which had taken on this kind of 
it was always going to be a big game, but it can taken on this kind of like life it's life of its own and this with this whole uh, Jim Harbaugh situation. So I was like, oh gosh, I'm missing like the first relevant Michigan game of the season, and uh, kind of would have loved to just stick around New York to watch that. But you know, I should get out to the golf course more often than I do. So um, once I was there, I was totally happy to be there, and uh, yeah, I mean, can't complain with playing golf on the weekend, right? Uh, so we got there, uh, got all set up, you know. Ate a quick lunch in the clubhouse, which was cool to kind of walk around in. Uh, it is a cool vibe. I, I mean, I totally, it's totally someplace I will be going back to. It's someplace that all people in Long Island, New York, should take advantage of if you're a golfer. Uh, really not that expensive, um, even for, with uh, paying out of state, because I stupidly don't have a New York ID yet. And uh, people, you know, everybody was friendly. It's a machine over there. You see a lot of regulars in the parking lot or just people that look like they would be regulars in the parking lot. Uh, starter was super friendly and, you know, got us off the red course uh, right on time. And um, the red course was, it was a lot of fun. We, we squeezed in 14 holes. Uh, the 14th hole was basically in the dark. Uh, it was kind of a tiger at Firestone situation in the early 2000s with the amount of light we were dealing with and had to walk in from kind of a far distance away. Uh, the, the nines don't come back to the clubhouse. But uh, the red course, um, you start with this par four, this kind of massive, like 460-yard par four, uh, down the hill and then up to this raised green with the 18th on the black course uh, right off to your right, right-hand right side, which is kind of cool. And you see a lot of the black course in that first hole. Uh, and you get a couple other glimpses as you go along. But it's kind of a rude awakening, um, this long hole with this like giant second shot that you hit up to the up to the green. Um, it's a bit of a slap in the face, but it's a little little bit more a uh, little calmer from there. It's a lot of a lot of dog legs, um, tree lined fairways, but kind of pretty generous landing areas. I'd say we we were pretty successful, didn't lose any balls out there, uh, even with some leaves around. And I was. I think the thing I liked most about it was just the playing corridors were, were wide, uh, which is something that I always find tough on a lot of municipal golf courses. It, it just feels so claustrophobic and that people are coming into your fairway from other fairways and you're yelling for all the time. Um, and I'm not even, I'm not really that wild of a hitter, but I just, so many um, municipal golf courses just feel so tight to me. And I feel like it's a bad just a bad precedent for golf. I, I feel like it's not the way people should experience golf. Um, but also people are like, everybody's so wild now that it's like, they don't even, I don't know. They don't even seem to care. But um, so I really like the playing corridors. Uh, I was surprised by the amount of dog legs, like some of them just like really going hard around trees. Um, but it was like nice variety. It's a beautiful terrain for a golf course conditions were good um definitely you know late fall conditions so not like pristine pristine and the greens were rolling true uh not fast um but you know for all the hype maybe it didn't quite live up to the hype that i had kind of heard not that it had like huge hype this isn't the black course it's the red course so it was always kind of like the, the hidden gem but to be the second best course at this facility that is so famous, 
maybe I was expecting like a little bit more to the golf course. Um, around the greens was pretty straightforward. It's kind of like um, that that kind of budget telling has bunkering. I, I mean, budgeting budget is maybe a little unfair, but it's not quite the grandiosity of these uh, Tillinghast bunkers on the black horse, or at least the Reese Jones's interpretation of what Tillinghast bunkers should be on the black horse. And, uh, you know, there really isn't a whole lot going on with the greens. Uh, probably, probably okay for public golf, honestly. But that was probably the thought, the thing I thought was most surprising was the lack of stuff going on on the greens. Um, and so I kind of was like, wow, is this, is this like really that great? <laughs> so I was like a little disheartened to be like, well, this is so famous. What does this say about like golf, public golf in America? Uh, I don't know. So that's probably sounds super negative, but it's just a, just a thought I had. Um, but something I'm definitely willing, I would love to go back. I think the whole experience was really good. You can take the train as we did, uh, basically to about a mile from the golf course you could probably you can probably walk it from the train if you really wanted to and and the Bethpage State Park facility is pretty pretty amazing you know you have walking trails and a polo ground and all these different things so that part of it was really cool and you know finishing in the dark at 4 30 good thing about that is you have you feel like it's nine o'clock but it's only 4 30 so you can uh, get home with plenty of time and kind of like rest up for the day if you're playing on a Saturday, um, which is good. And then I got to wake up Sunday morning and watch uh, the Patriots just just puke all over themselves versus the Colts and 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 uh, Mac Jones's uh, NFL st- career as a starting or his career as a starting quarterback in the NFL, I guess I should say. Uh, probably not in reality, but uh, in all likelihood, this is signaling the end for, for Mac Jones. Okay, so because I screwed it up so bad last week and just coughed it up to not knowing anything about the TGL, uh, I wanted to do a little bit of research this week and kind of, this was good for me. Hopefully it's good for anybody who's trying to figure out what is going on and just like need some basic information about the TGL um, that's going to be starting up next year. And so basically what I've learned is the TGL basically goes by that acronym, but technically or at least originally um original meaning is the tomorrow golf league which is a pretty funny name and maybe that's why it's quickly just become the acronym uh or initialism to be technical about it and so basically what it's going to be is 15 regular season matches followed by semifinals and finals and it's all being played on a virtual golf course there seems to be some rumors that they may move around the location, but I'm not, I think that for the most part, what that means is that they will be moving around the courses within the virtual game and the facilities being built out in Palm beach, Florida. Uh, no real surprise there, I guess, uh, being a golf centric endeavor. Uh, there'll be 18 whole match play events and currently there are six teams and I think that, I say currently, that seems to be the six teams moving forward. Um, the teams are the Atlanta Drive, TGL New York, TGL San Francisco, Los Angeles Golf Club, Boston Common Golf, 
and Jupiter Links Golf Club. And we've known, we know different things about different ones. Um, the LA team is kind of backed. A lot of them have these, in, these investment groups or big investors behind them. There's been a lot of celebrity people involved in this. Like San Francisco has Steph Curry as an investor. Uh, Boston Common Golf, as we kind of hit on last week, has Fenway Sports Group as an investor. Uh, Tiger Woods is linked to the, you know, he's basically the main guy behind the Jupiter Lynx team. Uh, unsurprising, that's not surprising, as he's like the prince of Jupiter, Florida, um, <laughs> so to speak. And um, yeah, and so that's kind of like the setup. Uh, a lot, there's been a lot of discussion about the making these teams regional. Um, certainly interesting with only six teams so far. I s we'll see what other teams emerge, but you, they don't have a lot of the country covered. So, I mean, Atlanta, New York, LA, San Francisco, Boston, and Florida, uh, talk about coastal, a coastal situation. Uh, so you think they would want to hit the middle of the country a little bit more might be a little tougher to to um, match PGA Tour players to some of those cities if it's not, you know, it doesn't feel as glamorous as the ones chosen so far. But, hey, a lot of PGA Tour players are from the middle of the country, from places like Texas, Oklahoma. So they should at least, they should definitely have a team in Texas. Uh, so that's a little weird. But basically, we went over who will be on the Boston Common team last week uh Roy McRoy Carol Haddon Adam Scott Keegan Bradley uh the only other team which has been fully released is the Atlanta team which will be uh JT Patrick Cantley Billy Horschel and Lucas Glover and we know that Neo Tiger will be on the Jupiter team we know that Colin Morikawa as we discussed uh previously got chills getting the call that he will be on the LA golf club team. So, and, but we have a lot of players linked to linked to the event. So we just have to see where they kind of like where, what teams they will be uh, kind of dropped into, or I don't know, signed to, or, you know, courted or whatever. Um, but yeah, so the events themselves will be played throughout the year. Um, starting in January, and they'll be on Tuesday nights and then Monday nights uh, on ESPN. And the move to Monday nights will be post-football, obviously, after Monday Night Football ends. And that got me thinking about the old uh, the Monday Night Golf events that I remember being on when I was little, uh, which were like played under the lights, I forget, I think, in Vegas mostly, if not always. Um, featured a lot of a young Tiger Woods and those were always kind of fun and kind of like just signature events of those early 2000s days of in pro golf of Tiger and David Duvall, Phil, uh, Ernie Els and those guys. Um, the purse uh, and some of this this purse information and other, other things is via uh, Sean Zach's article on uh, golf.com so check that out if you haven't there, there was a big uh piece about it in wired which i, I kind of breezed through didn't read all of all of it but it's been cited uh, a lot definitely a kind of pr you know 
junket from people involved in TGL to get that through. Uh, interesting choice with Wired, um, kind of showing you where they're maybe trying to like expand their audience to. Um, so the total purse is $21 million. Winning team will take home $9 million. There's um, PJ Tour exec Ross Berlins. He's kind of been tapped to uh, help with the scheduling. As pl players will obviously have their PGA Tour commitments throughout the year, uh, in addition to this TGL kind of bonus bonus event going on, uh, kind of like a FA Cup, if you will. And yeah, I mean, a lot of the players have equity in the deals. It's really remains to be seen. I mean, the I think the weird the weirdest thing to kind of wrap your ha heads around is this virtual golf part of it. Um, it certainly will make it a lot, lot easier to produce, a lot cheaper, I assume, like a lot of upfront costs, but then it will be a lot cheaper to produce. And it does definitely, the investment that they're putting into this golf facility definitely sets up for kind of a, a long-term thing, uh, not just this year. And obviously, I think what's key here is the involvement of Tiger. Uh, Tiger's going to play. Uh, the virtual golf definitely helps him. Uh, based on his his injury history and his leg situation, as far as walking a golf course, so that's kind of the breeze, the uh, cliff notes of the TGL. Um, this was all, most of this was news to me. Glad to hear it. Um, 